This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, The Young Turks, Countdown with Keith Olbermann, The Rachel Maddow Show, Citizen Radio, Democracy Now!, and the Tom Hartman Program with a bonus video clip for our Apple, iOS, and Android app users from The Daily Show. First quote is from a Democratic congressman named Gary Ackerman. He was reacting to a White House deal made this week. I disagree that we didn't get anything. We got screwed. Mr. Ackerman was speaking <laughs> for many of his caucus in reaction to what? I believe it was Obama's uh, tax plan. Yes. Plan. Yeah, the big tax deal with the Republicans. Very good. <laughs> President... President Obama's supporters have been adrift since President Bush left office desperately in need of an enemy. Now they have one, President Obama. (laughs) Liberals were outraged uh, with the deal the president announced with congressional Republicans, which will extend all of the Bush tax cuts, including the ones for the rich. Ask what they would do instead in the face of really effective Republican opposition. The Democrats said they would lose and then bury their heads in the sand, but with their heads held high. It's remarkable, too, that Republicans can be effective with such a complex message. Debt's bad and taxes are bad. Well, I, I could sell that. <laughs> well, that's actually, I mean, this is the thing. The, the Republicans won the midterms by promising to reign in the deficit. And their explanation is they're not adding to the deficit by cutting all these taxes because the money belongs to the American people. That's what they say. This reminds us of the old Ben Franklin saying, a penny saved is my penny, mine, 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 you can't have it. (laughs) And this is true. The the White House, so appalled by the reaction among the Democratic caucus, they started listing and announcing every Democrat who agreed with the deal, including, this is true, the Democratic mayor of Kokomo, Indiana. (laughs) Because as they say in political circles, as goes Kokomo, yeah. so, so goes Muncie. Yeah. <laughs> Obama said that he had to give in to the Republicans because the Republicans were acting like, quote, hostage takers, the hostage in this case being the American economy. And he had to make a deal because, as he said, otherwise the hostage would get hurt. But usually, when you give in to hostage takers, you get the hostage back. <laughs> If this was like a real kidnapping, Obama would pay the ransom and then ask the kidnappers to tuck the kid in every night. Does that make the Republicans terrorists? He didn't say that. A, 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 a Democratic congressman called them terrorists. Oh, he called right? them hostage takers. Hmm. Which Finally, they- someone else is, is not, not yeah. Middle Eastern. Uh, this is We're all just waiting to get home. Another week away. My greatest fear. Bernie Sanders is speaking now. 
and he laid out a great progressive case and said, no, by the way, this whole idea that it's a second stimulus, he's like, the back of my ass. He's like, none of, and these tax cuts, a lot of them are actually progressive. He's like, back of my ass. Now, I am paraphrasing. <laughs> it's not exactly what Bernie Sanders said. But you know, he's, he, that, the war horse is on the floor of the, uh, of the ha Senate right now. This is awesome. Bernie Sanders has been, and in in, in was actually not a filibuster, has been filibustering for since 10.30 in the morning, he, uh, Eastern. Uh, okay. How can I get by on one house? This, this is what he said. I need five houses, ten houses. I need three jet planes to take me all over the world. Sorry, American people. We've got the money. We've got the power. We've got the lobbyists, and we've got Wall Street. Tough luck. That's the world. Get used to it. Rich get richer. Middle class shrinks. Let's, let's listen in line for a, a couple of minutes here. Or but I think the vast majority of Americans believe that in the time when the middle class is collapsing, when median family income has gone down, when unemployment is high, that it would be a real horror show if we did not extend the Bush tax breaks for the middle class for 98% of the American people. 98%. That's what we want. You know, we could have crafted it much tighter, couldn't we? We could have said nobody above 100,000, nobody above 150,000. That's pretty generous. We said 200, a family earning $250,000 should get an extension of these tax breaks. That is 98% of the American people. That's not good enough. All right, let me say a couple things about this. You know, he's been on now, we're live at 6.30 Eastern, right? He's been on for eight hours. Now, there was a, a break in, in between for just a tiny a, a bit when Senator Sherrod Brown came up and spoke. Mary from, Landro spoke, too. Right, and Mary Landro from uh, Louisiana also spoke. And that was, but that was in the morning, right? And then since the morning, it's been just Bernie Sanders. He's not stopping to eat anything. He's just having a glass of water. Now, the thing is, he actually cannot stop the Republicans, right? This is not the kind of filibuster, unfortunately, where if he keeps going, they just can't have the vote, right? So in some ways, it's symbolic. But I, I love the symbolism. You know, I don't you know, know what would really help the symbolism? Other Democrats. Help a brother out. Let him go grab a sandwich. Yeah. I mean, like, even if it's symbolic, right? Tom Harkin, where are you? Mm -hmm. Al Franken, where are you? Yeah. Step in. Or Russ Feingold. I mean. Yeah, and Feingold's still yeah. in the Senate. Get in there. Get in there. Get and let him come back up. And you know what? If you just keep going, I, I mean, look, this sounds like our filibuster to filibuster. Remember the yeah. Sam Alito, et cetera. I mean, look, the guy's just getting up and saying, I, I, don't, I don't want this. I don't want this. We, we got to end this. This is crazy. And he's made a compelling case. We showed a speech he gave a couple of days ago. Somebody back him up. You know, why don't we, and why don't we understand what I'm certain Republicans understand? Like, like uh, I get it. Obama made that point. I've heard 98% and we've heard $250,000 before. But we didn't hear it cogently from the one office, the one address that can deliver it on a daily basis. Find new ways to deliver that point. And then when you say, look, man, I'm still trying to compromise with these guys who say their sole purpose is to defeat me in 2012. I'm still trying to work out a deal. We've said that we only want this for the top 2% at $250,000. You know what? We're going to make it half a million dollars. 400,000. I don't know why we have to go up and block numbers either. Mm -hmm. We're going to make it 375,000, $400,000. If they don't believe that, then you should know very clearly that they're not on your side, that they're on Ken Lay's side.
realize he's dead. <laughs> but but that's the kind of guy who actually they would certainly be on Kenley's family right, side be, because of the estate tax. Yeah, but we didn't. He didn't make that point. They thought that was what and uh, a political loser. I don't. I, I I literally I don't understand it, and I don't understand if anybody even there is making that argument in the White House. And l let me say one more thing about Bernie Sanders. Look, when somebody shows up to fight, it it I think it inspires people. I think it makes a difference, right? So Bernie Sanders is frustrated that a Democratic president didn't show up to fight, and what he's doing here today is a little William Wallace, where he's saying. Well, I'm going to show up to fight, and you know, you come if you like, don't come if you don't like. But I, I, I think this is dead wrong. I, I don't think it's going to give us the stimulus that the president thinks it's going to give us, and the Republicans think it's going to give us. I don't think it's going to create jobs. I think what it's going to do is suck more money out of the system for the rich and hurt the middle class. So if you do it, you're going to have to do it over my exhausted body, right? And and I love that. So I'm, I'm, you know, look, we're live now. <laughs> Go get the word out to Al Franken's office, the Feingold's office, to all these guys. Can you get the guy some backup? I mean, look, somebody's fighting. Let's get some other fighters in there. And you know why? Because you never know. Maybe it makes a difference. Maybe it reaches the American people. Maybe somehow it even reaches, can we dare to say, a Democratic president who has decided to side with the Republicans, that his own party, being on this side, might affect him. I know it seems a dream that seems undoable, but in effect, in effect here, ironically, Bernie Sanders is saying, "Yes, we can." <laughs> Come on, Bernie! Come on! God, I love this guy. And it takes a New Yorker to do it. In case you can't tell from listening, he may be representing Vermont, but he's from New York. You talk too much, you worry me to death. You talk too much, you even worry my pet. You just talk. Talk too much. You talk about people that you don't know. You talk about people wherever you go. You just talk. Talk too much. You talk about people that you never seen. You talk about people you can make me scream. You just And today we saw history on the floor of the Senate. It started at 10.25 in the morning and kept going until 6.59 p.m., eight and one-half hours and change. Reportedly, the number of people watching it crashing the computer servers of the United States Senate. A filibuster, historic both because of the cause for which it was waged and in our fifth story tonight because it was not technically a filibuster, but something new and unique, the Bernie Buster. Senator Bernie Sanders, independent of Vermont, self-professed socialist, the first senator to vow opposition to the president's tax cut deal with the Republican Party, speaking to an empty chamber but an enthralled nation. This was the leading trend on Twitter in this country and the second leading one worldwide. Turning his opposition to this bill into an epic, essential lesson about the history of the nation's middle class, its families and children, and about the generational transformation we have witnessed under presidents, Republican and Democratic, in which the rich have not just grown richer, but have redefined the concept of rich. While the future of America's children has been mortgaged and collateralized and securitized and outsourced and leveraged and downsized into nothing. Democratic Senator Sherrod Brown, along with nominal Democrat Mary Landrieu, helping out by spelling Sanders for brief breaks. Mr. Sanders began with a simple declaration. 
Mr. President, um, as I think uh, everyone knows, uh, the President of the United States, President Obama, and the Republican leadership have reached an agreement on a very significant tax bill. Uh, in my view, uh, the agreement that they reached is a bad deal for the American people. I think we can do better. And I am here today to take a strong stand against this bill. And I intend to tell my colleagues and the nation exactly what, why I am in opposition to this bill. You can call what I'm doing today whatever you want. You can call it a filibuster. You can call it a very long speech. I'm not here to set any great records uh, or to, to make a spectacle. I am simply here today to take as long as I can to explain to the American people the fact that we have got to do a lot better than this, this agreement uh, provides. As the day went on and Sanders spoke, always speaking, in the background, new details emerged. Senate Leader Harry Reid had announced last night that the bill would go up for at least a test vote on Monday afternoon, and now there is, in fact, an actual bill to discuss. And so this morning we learned the estimated cost, $858 billion over the next 10 years, $70 billion more than the much-hated deficit-ballooning stimulus package. The vast majority of that $858 billion, the $675 billion, required for extending the Bush tax cuts. At 7.50 this morning, the Reuters News Service moved a story quoting small business owners saying the tax breaks will not create new jobs. At 3.24 in the afternoon, Senator Sanders was still talking and talking about the Republican proposal to kill the state tax altogether, a proposal some still hope to win in this tax cut deal, and the windfall that will represent for the owners of Walmart, the Walton family. $86 billion. That's what this family is worth. One family, $86 billion. They're doing pretty good. If we abolish the estate tax, as our Republican friends would have us do, the Walton family alone would receive an estimated 32.7 billion tax break if the estate tax was completely repealed. One family, 32.7 billion dollars. This is patently insane. This is insane. We have the highest rate of childhood poverty in the industrialized world. We have massive unemployment. I am trying to get senior 50 plus million people a $250 check, by the way, a $250 check because we have not seen a COLA for the last two years for seniors, disabled vets. That would cost in one year about $14 billion. The Walton family itself would get more than double in a tax break what some of us are fighting for, for over 50 million seniors and disabled vets. So we can't afford to give $14 billion to help some of the people in this country who are struggling the hardest, can't do that. But somehow we can afford to give $32.7 billion in tax breaks to one of the richest families in this country. If that makes sense to anybody, please call up my office. Because it doesn't make sense to me, and I think it does not make sense to the vast majority of the American people. The future of the Walton family of less interest to Senator Sanders than the families of working class Americans who have seen the manufacturing foundation of their American dream crumble. Entry level automobile workers at General Motors and Chrysler 
now earn half as much, half as much as their peers made just one year ago. Instead of making $28 an hour, a middle-class wage, they are now making $14 an hour. And this is in the automobile industry, which has always been the gold standard for manufacturing jobs uh, in America. And if workers with a union in the automobile industry are making $14 an hour, what do you think workers in New Mexico are going to be making without a strong union? So what you are seeing is a dissolution of the middle class. Wages are going down. And in this remarkable example, a 50% reduction. The older workers making good wages, new workers half the wages. Is this the future of America? Is this what our kids have to look forward to? That they're going to be earning half the wages that their fathers made, that their mothers made? Is that the future? And in the midst of all of that, we run up a huge national debt, send our jobs to China, and we give tax breaks to billionaires? Is that the future these kids have to look forward to? If there were any doubt that sending not just jobs, but our IOUs to China will return to haunt President Obama, the conservative columnist Charles Krauthammer this morning became just the latest Republican to preview the 2012 attack line, writing that Obama's deal, quote, will pump a trillion borrowed Chinese dollars into the U.S. economy over the next two years. As for the jobs, Senator Sanders said today American manufacturers have found it cheaper and therefore more profitable to send China U.S. jobs. He said he did not mean to single out GE, this network's parent company, but to illustrate his larger point, he brought out an old quote from before the recession from the CEO. When I am talking to GE managers, I talk China, 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 five Chinas. You need to be there. You need to change the way people talk about it and how they get there. I am a nut on China. Gee, when GE recently had a couple of years ago some really difficult economic times, they needed $16 billion to bail them out. I didn't hear Mr. Inmel going to China, 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 China. Other U.S. companies were singled out for growing. What the American people should know now is that while we bailed out Wall Street because they were quote unquote too big to fail, three out of the four largest financial institutions, all of whom were bailed out very significantly, are now larger today than they were before the bailout. Incredibly, since the start of the financial crisis, Wells Fargo has grown 43% bigger. J.P. Morgan Chase has grown 51% bigger, and Bank of America is now 138% larger than before the financial crisis began. Can you imagine that? We bailed these guys out because they were too big to fail, and now three out of the four largest ones are much larger than they were. 18 minutes later, the Huffington Post posted an analysis of the new tax bill, concluding that the new tax cuts, combined with an expiration of some of the Obama stimulus tax cuts, will yield a net loss, meaning a tax increase for about 5 million government workers and any worker in this country making less than $20,000. All told, about one-third of America's workers, 50 million of them, 50 million, will get a tax hike as part of an alleged tax cut from President Obama and the Republican Party.
What I'm asking the American people is to stand up, let your senators, let your congressmen know how you feel. Do you really believe that millionaires and billionaires who have done phenomenally well in recent years need an extended tax cut at a time when their taxes have been lowered substantially in recent years? Do we really need to give tax breaks to the rich in order to drive up the national debt so that our kids and grandchildren will pay higher taxes in order to pay off that national debt caused by tax breaks for the rich? If you don't believe that, you don't think that's right, let the President of the United States know about it, let your Senator know about it, let your Congressman know about it. Today showed a stark and startling contrast between the left and the right in American politics. It's the kind of contrast that the Beltway media doesn't always like to admit to, but today it was on display, making everyone very uncomfortable. The Beltway is, of course, very excited these days uh, because some of the left and some of the right are taking the same position on something. Everybody freak out! The important thing, though, is that, boy howdy, are the left and the right doing this same thing in totally different ways. Democrats this morning are not the only ones turning their back on President Obama's tax cut deal. He's also coming under fire from some on the right as well. So he upset uh, Republicans for the first two years in, in office, which is to be expected. Now he's upset, yeah. and he also upset the, the left. It really is a case of strange bedfellows, because on the one hand, you got move on and progressives objecting. And then look at this. Mark Meckler of the Tea Party Patriots hates the deal. The left and the right. People on the left and the right coming to the same position. Ah! It is true that there are both Democrats and Republicans, both liberals and conservatives, speaking out against the tax cut deal the president struck with Republican congressional leaders this week. Leading the charge against the tax deal for the left today, you had very visibly, very publicly, Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont. He took to the Senate floor today for eight and a half hours for not quite a filibuster, but a superhuman display of endurance and strength of conviction against the tax deal. You can call what I'm doing today whatever you want. You can call it a filibuster. You can call it a very long speech. Millions of Americans remain unemployed and have lost their homes, their life savings, and their ability to send their kids to college. Senator Sanders worked so important on the floor today, taking the floor for a longer period than anybody I've seen since I've been in the Senate, uh, in a filibuster kind of setting where he is, um, you know, he is raising these questions. We have a job to do, and if it means staying here through Christmas Eve, through New Year's, that is our job. How much more do they want? The highest rate of childhood poverty in the industrialized world. Is this America? And you wonder why people are angry? You wonder why this Tea Party movement is festering? You wonder why people want to 
you know, people are so angry that call. I understand that anger. I'm so angry myself. I don't know what to do. Losing 600,000 private sector jobs in eight years is not good. That's very, very bad. That's an economic policy that has failed. We don't need to look at that movie again. We saw it. It stunk. It was a bad movie. As this chart shows, only a tiny fraction of estates from deaths in 2009 owed any estate tax. The Walton family alone would receive an estimated 32.7 billion tax break if the estate tax was completely repealed. One family, 32.7 billion dollars. This is patently insane. It is totally absurd to be giving tax breaks to people who don't need them. U.S. Chamber of Commerce President and CEO Tom Stanley urged American companies to send jobs overseas. Now that's really patriotic. That's standing up for the United States of America. We have got to start protecting the middle class of this country. I think we can do better in job creation than in business tax cuts. And with that, uh, Madam President, I would yield the floor. Senate stands adjourned. Eight and a half hours. That's what the junior senator from Vermont did today. His argument against the president's tax cut deal with Republicans, the argument from the left, central theme you heard there, is that tax cuts for the rich don't do anything good for the economy. They benefit only the people who directly receive them, who are already very rich, and it's a hugely expensive thing to do. It's unaffordable and it is ineffective. And as you saw, that argument from Senator Sanders today came complete with all sorts of evidence, charts and graphs and numbers to support it. Now let's hear from Senator Sanders' strange bedfellows on the right. Let's hear why the conservatives are against this tax cut deal. Batting for the right today, Republican Senator and Tea Party hero, Senator Jim DeMint. Republicans have something we know is good for the country, such as extending these tax rates. But Democrats are not going to allow us to pass it unless we do more deficit spending on some uh, program that they, they think is, is desperately needed. We call that a compromise. They say it's the best deal we can get. But, but Sean, this is bad fiscal policy because it increases the debt. I'd like to get the deal done now, but it, it should, in my mind, not increase the deficit. And we should at least have a vote on making these rates permanent. I, I don't want to increase the deficit. We should have a vote on making these rates permanent. Just for anybody keeping track, right? Extending the Bush tax cuts for the richest 2% of Americans just for 10 years would add $700 billion to the debt. Jim DeMint is against adding to the debt, right? So Jim DeMint also wants to extend those rich people tax cuts, not just for 10 years, but forever. His argument against the tax cut deal the president made with his party's leaders is essentially your idea is bad because it adds to the deficit. My idea is better. It adds way more to the deficit. <laughs> but Republican Congresswoman Michelle Bachman of Minnesota had a much more carefully crafted argument against the tax cut deal today. According to Ms. Bachman, this package of tax cuts increases taxes. Republicans are concerned because it does increase taxes in certain segments and it also adds to the deficit and that's not good. Increases taxes? It, yes, it does on the on the death tax. The death tax will go up under this measure. But, but, still, but, but still, there's an exemption for the first five million 
So. Well, it's in flux right now as to what it's going to be. But just, just to be clear, the president's plan, as he outlined it, is that something you could sign on to? No, it isn't, because it, because it increases the deficit too much, increases spending too much, and... Um, but, 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 but part of the reason why it increases the deficit is because you're maintaining those marginal tax rates through all income levels. That's right, but remember the definition... And that's about $450 it, billion dollars of the projected $900 billion. And remember, it's, it's a deficit to government, but it's not a deficit to people people who get to keep their money. So it's it, it's it's how you frame but, 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 it. I don't think letting no, people keep their own money should be considered a deficit. So to recap, on the left, you have Senator Bernie Sanders and his marathon speech with charts and graphs and numbers explaining that doing a huge expensive thing targeted specifically to the richest people in the country is huge and expensive and as economists agree, it is not very good for the economy. It is not economically stimulative. The country does not benefit economically, only the rich people who are getting that benefit, benefit. So adding that money to the deficit for the whole country does not make economic sense. That's his argument. On the right, you have Jim DeMint arguing that because he wants the deficit to go down, he proposes making the deficit go up. And you have Michelle Bachman arguing that for the stuff she wants to add to the deficit, she would prefer you didn't really think of that as a deficit anymore. Remember, it's, it's a deficit to government, but it's not a deficit to people. The myth that the left and the right are mirror images of each other, that they're essentially the same, uh, is very attractive to the Beltway media. It's very attractive to sort of anybody skimming over politics. It has never been true, and it has always made me crazy. I would today like to offer my sincere gratitude uh, to Senator DeMint and Congresswoman Bachman for helping I think all of us to dispel that myth, at least for today. Yes, some on the left and some on the right hate this tax deal. That does not mean that the left and the right are either equally crazy, as you will hear all Sunday morning long this weekend, I promise you. Nor does it mean, though, that they are equally genius. Now I As an anti-consumerism advocate, I'd like to encourage you to shop less, don't buy things you don't need, and only buy the necessities from local, independently owned businesses. That said, if you don't take this good advice, then at least there's a way to shop that helps support this show at the same time. Simply click through to Amazon.com, just one of the major companies under constant boycott by one liberal cause or another, from the banner posted at bestoftheleft.com. Better yet, click through just once and bookmark that link to use every time you shop. Your shopping experience will be identical to normal. It will cost you nothing extra, but 7 to 8% of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whatever you consider that to be. Eyes of China blue, colors changing hue. Speaking of heroes, Allison, yes. what is the opposite of a 15-year-old giving a speech? How about Bernie Sanders giving a speech? Holy crap. He wow. could not be stopped. He no. could not be stopped. He, I really thought he was going to throw the mic down, Chris mm -hmm. Rock style, at the end of his eight-hour filibuster, mm -hmm. and then light the room on fire. Oh, 
It was amazing, you guys. So he went for. Well, well, let's go through why. Maybe even maybe even what a filibuster is. Well, technically, Bernie was not calling it a filibuster because he was not trying to force anyone to do anything legislatively. He was just giving a very long speech. Can we call said. it a Bernie Buster? A Bernie Buster. I think it was called something like that. But um, not as cute as that. Not as cute. So Bernie was talking about the tax cuts that the wealthiest people in America received that were enacted by uh our republican president george bush (laughs) right and uh obama said that he was going to repeal and did not uh in fact he voted to extend it for another two years which is what bush originally said and this is an interesting fact that everybody overlooks the reason bush originally said it was only going to be two years is because they're unaffordable you can't right. have them longer than two years, yeah. or they start to add tremendously to the deficit. Right. I mean, they already had at that point. In fact, most of the deficit is from tax cuts and the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq. But um, they said, we're going to extend them another two years. And they're still unaffordable. They've, they've not said how they're going to pay for these in any way. So Bernie gave an eight and a half hour long mm-hmm. speech filibuster essentially about how the the wealth divide in america is growing how these tax cuts are unaffordable and then he started reading letters from his constituents these heartbreaking letters of people who are like we can only afford to eat two meals a day um you know we've had to sacrifice this this and this just so our kids don't starve and like this a real problem in america you know poverty um so, yeah, it was really moving to see a politician who actually gave a shit. Well, and that's what I wanted to bring up, too. Uh, I'm a deficit and I'm made for more and tax cuts. Sorry. <laughs> what I wanted to bring up as well, I, I wouldn't have been able to get it out of my head if I didn't just say it out loud. If I didn't just throw it up into this microphone. <laughs> I, you know, Republicans are always threatening filibusters, mm-hmm. right? And what was so interesting about the Bernie Buster... <laughs> That is literally the most adorable thing. Too bad you didn't think of it like 20 hours ago. Yeah. (laughs) My best jokes come... Inappropriately late. (laughs) (laughs) I have a joke that I just finished on the movie Serendipity (laughs) that I'm going to hit the stage with tonight and storm it. Okay. So they always threaten filibusters. And the Democrats just cave before these assholes filibuster and filibustering is essentially doing what bernie did is you're stalling this vote and the cameras are on you so you know a lot of times you start out pleading your case and then people have read the phone book people have done whatever you know bernie it's like man after the first hour it's shocking he didn't like as a comic i was just waiting for him to like go into the crowd (laughs) Like, hey, so uh, what do you do for a living? Uh, but he didn't. He read a chapter from someone's book, yeah. I heard. But, um, you know, if the, if the Republicans are threatening to, let's say, filibuster unemployment, right? Make them do that. Make them stand up in front of television cameras and explain to the American people why they are going to steal their unemployment from them while voting against the stimulus that could possibly create new jobs. Make them fucking explain themselves. The rabbi reads from the testament The banker gazes at the year's investment Salvation Santa solicit for the poor Deception of democracy, the philanderings of faux foreign policy, 
The holidays are here and we're still at war Smoggy skies and fixed elections And just the strikes from all directions People with their backs against the floor Looking for someone to set us free A king with fists like Muhammad Ali The holidays are here and we're still the Senate voted overwhelmingly Monday to move President Obama's controversial tax deal with Republicans to a final vote today. The bill passed by a vote of 83 to 15. Last week, Obama agreed to extend the Bush-era tax cut for the wealthiest Americans and reduce the estate tax in return for a 13-month extension of jobless benefits and a handful of tax credits for low- and moderate-income Americans. According to The New York Times, at least a quarter of the tax savings under the deal will go to the wealthiest 1% of the population. The only group that will see its taxes increase are the nation's lowest-paid workers. The Senate will vote on final passage of the legislation today. On Monday, President Obama spoke to reporters at the White House and praise the bipartisan support of the bill. I am pleased to announce at this hour the United States Senate is moving forward on a package of tax cuts that has strong bipartisan support. And this proves that both parties can in fact work together to grow our economy and look out for the American people. I recognize that folks on both sides of the political spectrum are unhappy with certain parts of the package. And I understand those concerns. Uh, I share some of them. But that's the nature of compromise, sacrificing something that each of us cares about to move forward on what matters to all of us. Right now, that's growing the economy and creating jobs. And nearly every economist agrees that that is what this package will do. House Democratic leaders hope to take up the Senate bill later this week and allow an amendment that would rewrite the estate tax language to increase the rate from 35 to 45 percent and lower the amount of wealth exempted from $5 million to $3.5 million. For more, we're joined by the Pulitzer Prize-winning investigative journalist David K. Johnston. He's a columnist for tax analysts, a professor at Syracuse University, former reporter for The New York Times. His most recent book is called Free Lunch, How the Wealthiest Americans Enrich Themselves at government expense and stick you with the bill. We welcome you to D Democracy Now! Sorry you couldn't be in a TV studio in Rochester, but I understand it's so cold they couldn't move the satellite. So thanks uh, for joining us. Years on the uh, satellite dish. <laughs> well, David K. Johnston, talk about the legislation that the Senate is poised to pass today. Well, you certainly cannot accuse the Republicans of leaving any money on the table. They got an extraordinarily good deal uh, that raises, I think, basic questions about the negotiating skills of the president. Uh, the bottom roughly 45 million families in America, or households in America, and there are a little over 100 million households, they're going to actually see their taxes go up. And that's because President Obama's making work pay credit, $400 per person, 200 for a couple, and you got it even if you were retired or disabled, is going to go away. And it's going to be replaced by this temporary 2% reduction in the payroll tax, the Social Security tax. Well, for about 45 million households who make less than $20,000 a year, this is a tax increase of $150 to $200 each. So it certainly seems to me it's reasonable going forward, given how the Republicans have emphasized they will never raise taxes on anyone, and they're the party of tax cuts, 
that the Republicans have now become the party of tax cut of tax increases on the poor. At the top end, if you're a two-income couple and you make a little over $100,000 each, so you pay the maximum Social Security tax, you didn't get Obama's making work pay credit. You were regarded as too well off. But that Social Security payroll tax decrease is going to mean about a $4,200 tax cut for you. So clearly we can see that the scheme of this is the better off you are, the more help you get from the government, the worse off you are. Uh, your taxes go up. You wrote a piece saying that um, President Obama should call their bluff. What do you think of what President Obama has done? Well, he certainly didn't call their bluff. The, the, remember that the Republicans are the minority party even in January. They cannot pass any legislation unless the Democrats go along with them. And there's an important issue to the plutocrats at the very top of the Republican Party who've been financing a lot of these policies through the people they donate to and put in office. And that's the estate tax. If nothing was done, the estate tax was going to go back to a $1 million exemption and a 55% rate. That's far more troubling to you if you're a billionaire or a, very, or a centimillionaire than a marginal change in your tax rate. So I think what the president should have done was uh, hung tough, uh, said to the, uh, uh, to the Republicans he would veto anything that didn't meet his standards. If he'd adjusted the uh, increase, uh, the area where taxes would go up on income to a million dollars from a quarter of a million, that wouldn't have been a big deal. And by the way, a very important point that news media keeps missing, that $250,000 was not income. It was taxable income, which is much smaller than total income. We're talking to David K. Johnston, Pulitzer Prize-winning investigative journalist. David, you've also written about how the media covers this issue. Uh, explain what isn't explained. Well, it's covered mostly through talking points. Um, in fact, I have a piece in Neiman Reports from Harvard University out today about how much that I'm reading of economic news that is just nonsense. I mean, it accurately quotes what politicians are saying but it's economic nonsense because the reporters writing about it are very best papers at the Washington Post, at the New York Times, at the Wall Street Journal, do often do not know what it is that they're writing about. And this I find to be one of the most troubling aspects of this because after all, uh, as the great conservative commentator uh, 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 Edmund Burke wrote in 1793, the revenue of the state is the state. Taxes are the system by which we distribute the burden of being able to live in a free society. And to not understand how they work it results in all sorts of manipulations by people who make ridiculous claims about the taxes. Today, the House Democratic Caucus rejected President Obama's tax cut compromise. In a closed-door meeting, Democrats voted down the current tax cut proposal by a voice vote. 
The vote is non-binding, so Speaker Pelosi can still bring the legislation to the floor if she chooses, but that seems unlikely. Democrats in the House are already crafting a counter-proposal, one that likely addresses raising the estate tax, a tax that only affects people who die with incomes more than $5 million, or whatever it ends up being set at. Democrats see the new estate tax provision as a giveaway to millionaires and billionaires. Ultimately, though, Democrats are most upset with the way the situation was handled. Take a look. I have an impugn the president's motives, and they shouldn't be talking about political theater. I care very deeply about trying to get the deficit down in a way that does not do a great deal of damage to the quality of life in America. We ought to be able to have honest differences of opinion without those kind of characterizations. The House approved a deal speak that spoke only to the middle class tax cuts uh, last Saturday. It couldn't get through the Senate. What was President Obama supposed to do? Try to change the vote. He's the leader of the country, he's the leader of my party, and he's a spokesman for the American people. You know, vote counts aren't static things, Megan. Extend tax breaks for the middle class, protect the unemployed. Do not drive up the national debt by giving tax breaks to millionaires and billionaires who don't need it, and in many cases don't even want it. So with the House demanding changes in the, pack, in the package, is the deal dead? And what kind of changes can be made that will bring Democrats on board while preserving Republican support? Congressman Peter DeFazio from Oregon was one of the men who pushed for this vote within the Democratic caucus. Now joins me here in the studio to discuss it. Congressman, welcome back. Hey, thanks, Tom. Uh, so, first of all, tell me about this vote. What, what? Uh, well, it was, it was uh, my resolution, strongly supported by a number of members, particularly uh, Lloyd Doggett, Jay Inslee, and uh, Jim McDermott. And uh, we, uh, it, it's unprecedented. Uh, I've been here 24 years. Uh, I cannot remember a time when the Democratic caucus has gone on record on any pending legislation, let alone uh, an initiative by a Democratic president. Uh, and this was nearly a unanimous vote uh, to not go forward with this package. Uh, I only heard one person say no. Wow. And the press commented afterwards when I went out that they could hear the chants down the hall just before the vote on my proposal of just say no, just say no. Yeah. Now, does the Republican caucus operate in a way where they typically take a vote before they decide, you know, among themselves, like you guys did today, before they then go out and decide how to vote on the floor? I think it's, uh, I think it's been more common there than on our side. Uh, so but uh, it doesn't happen on the Democratic side. It's been unprecedented. It's more like herding cats among the Democrats. Yeah, yeah but, I, but you know, this, really this, is, this, this is a big deal. And yes. uh, all the leadership was there. Uh, they heard the debate. I mean, obviously, everybody was there yesterday for Vice President Biden, and he said, take it or leave it. And we just said, leave it. Yeah, that's, that's extraordinary. Now, this vote that was held today and your proposal is not binding. So I don't know any way the caucus can bind the speaker, but I don't believe she'll violate the spirit of what we did. Uh, mm -hmm. said the package in its current form is not acceptable, will not come to the floor of the House, and uh, you know, I would expect uh, that she'll abide by that. What I want to do uh, is give both President Obama an opportunity to be the president he told us he was going to be. Uh, no extension of tax cuts for income over 250. Remember, people misunderstand. Everybody up to 250 still gets the break. 100% of Americans still get a break. Yeah. yeah, but it's only your income over 250 that right. gets the Clinton era rates, which work right. pretty darn well in this country. Tens of millions of jobs, balanced budget, not bad. Yeah, uh, and uh, you know. That would not be a bad place to go back to. And then this new estate tax thing, where'd this come from? 
Uh, this is uh, perhaps something to buy uh, Kyle's support for the uh, nuclear treaty with Russia. I don't know where it came from, but it's incredibly expensive. $68 billion to give special additional relief to estates over $10 million. And then two new wrinkles, 100% expensing for the largest corporations in America sitting on trillions of dollars of cash. They can go out and buy anything they want next year, 100% off their taxes. So right now they have record profits, huge amounts of cash, and they will get to expense things. And guess what? No Buy America provisions. So United Airlines wants to buy an Airbus from France, Hey, go to it. We will subsidize and the taxpayers it. Will by, pay for yeah, it. by lowering your taxes. And then finally, the social security thing. Totally bizarre. We're going to reduce social security taxes by 2%. That's pretty big, a third of the employee's right. contribution. That's a lot of money. That's $163 billion in one year. Uh, but don't worry, we're going to make social security whole. We will borrow the money, probably from China, and then we will re-inject it into the Social Security Trust Fund. So we not only break down the wall between the general fund and Social Security and treat Social Security like some kind of bizarre piggy bank, but we give that tax break to everybody. Millionaire, billionaire, trillionaire, right. doesn't matter. You get 2000 bucks. Member of Congress, you get a $2,000 tax break. What seems particularly bizarre about that 2% hole that they're drilling into Social Security is that some conservative columnists, uh, uh, one wrote in the Washington Examiner yesterday, that if they can get this into place, they will call this the Obama tax cut, so that in two years, when Obama's running for re-election, right. nobody, in, he and no Democrat, will say, oh, well, let's end the Obama tax cut on working people, and therefore they can make it permanent, and therefore they will drill such a large hole in Social Security right. that the prophecy that they've been making that Social Security is going to collapse will be fulfilled, and then they can privatize Social Security. Yeah. No, all of this is a setup. I mean, this will take the deficit next year to uh, somewhere around 1.7 trillion. Can you imagine with this new Republican Congress coming? Say, oh my God! Look, 1.7 trillion. We got to slash the heck out of everything. Right. Uh, and but but tax cuts don't count. I mean, I just was on a you know this uh, conservative radio talk show, and he's saying, you know, what, you know, all you have to do is cut spending. I said, you know, if we eliminate virtually the entire federal government next year, we can't balance the budget. Yeah. So this is, you know, you can't say that. Well, you, you just want to tax people. I said, yeah, you can, you're only going to balance the budget by both having taxes and reducing expenditures. You right. can't and cut taxes and keep current expenditures and pretend you're not uh, increasing the debt. Well, what's really amazing is when you look at it in the big picture, from the founding of this republic until Ronald Reagan's presidency, we never had a really serious debt problem. I mean, right. even after World War II, we were 120% right. of GDP, but we paid it in five years right. by just growing the economy. Reagan comes in with Reaganomics, drops the top rate from 74 down to 28%, and it runs up in eight years more debt than every president from George Washington and Jimmy Carter combined, and it's just gotten worse every year right. since then. It's time to stop this insanity. And George Bush doubled it. I mean, yeah. George, the last George of the yeah. most recent. Yeah. And remember, you know, we have had uh, basically supply-side economics, tax cuts, and trickle-down economics since George Bush's uh, tax cuts went through. Yeah. How's that working for you? Yeah. as Sarah Palin would say. Not too darn good. We've got a pile of debt and we haven't put people back to work. And, and the Republicans who are so critical of the stimulus, the biggest component of the stimulus was the Republican provision for $300 billion in tax cuts, which didn't put anybody back to work. And guess what? This is the Obama stimulus tax cuts on steroids with new additions and a heck of a lot more cost. Yeah, it's, it's terrible. Congressman Peter DeFazio, thanks so much for the great work you're doing for initiating this process today. And congratulations on the outcome. Thank you, Tom.
So let's presuppose for a moment that you actually enjoy this show. Now, if that's true, please consider supporting it with a $5 monthly membership. I actually quit my job as a climate activist to pursue this show full-time because this is where I felt like my talents could best be put to use and I could have the biggest impact on the world. But I really need your support to keep going. I produce 10 shows a month of fearless coverage on all the hot-button issues we face, maintaining a rock-solid schedule posting shows at least every third day. So if all that is worth 5 bucks a month or as little as $55 a year, a little discount for you, please consider signing up for a membership at bestoftheleft.com. Members even receive bonus audio and video content on top of the rest that doesn't make it into the final cut of the show. So please, again, check out the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Thanks so much for your support. Because the president and, and his advisors and, and the Washington media uh, are positive they, they couldn't have gotten a better deal, that the Republicans would have held out, etc. Why do you think that the Republicans would have given it? Well, first of all, he could have gotten a better deal if he talked to us a little bit before he went out and gave away the store. Uh, this, this whole thing was done uh, as though the House of Representatives didn't exist. And we would have given him the backing to make it possible for him to have a stronger hand, but he, he simply did not uh, use the House. Uh, he went out and made the deal himself, and uh, what he's got now is what he's got. He's going to have to live with it. He will never stop this uh, in two years. He says, oh, well, we're going to get uh, to uh, two years from now, and I'm going to make a stand right at election time. Uh, that's, that's nonsense. We know that. And uh, we know that the, they're going to be fighting one year from now. It'll be the Republicans in charge of the House. It'll be the Republicans in charge of the Senate. And we will be, unemployment benefits will have run out again, and the president will have given up his opportunity to guarantee, during his time at least, that this, the unemployed in this country have benefits. I mean, my guess is that over the next two years, uh, the president will cut many, many deals with the Republicans. And every time they'll come to you and they'll say, you better accept these deals with the Republicans, otherwise you're the bad guys. As Larry Summers said, you're going to cause a double-dip recession, and... Uh, well, remember, wait a minute, let's talk about Larry Summers. This is a guy who brought us the catastrophe we have on Wall Street right now. For him to be going around telling us about we're going to have a double dip, <laughs> a double dip collapse, is, it's laughable. I don't, I don't know why anybody pays any attention to him whatsoever. But he is or was the president's top economic advisor. So well, there's a lot of us that think he should have gotten a new team. If he'd have brought in Joe Stiglitz or Paul Krugman or some others, he'd be in much better shape today than, than so, he is now, having listened to Larry Summers take us down the road a, a further piece. But Congressman McDermott, the fact is, he isn't going to bring in Stiglitz. Apparently, he's just not that guy. He's going to bring in people like Tim Geithner and Larry Summers, and he's going to cut deals with the Republicans. That's what he's done his whole life. That's what he's done the first two years. That's what he's going to definitely do the next two years if all of this if the passes indication. So how do you deal with that reality? How do you deal with the reality of a Democratic president who doesn't really appear to be progressive and works with the Republicans and blames you for it? How do you deal with that as a progressive in the House? Well, we'll we're going to see. I don't I don't have the answer to that. It's it's. You're asking a really good question, 
but it's it's one to which I don't have a good answer. I'll tell you that. I think that that we are in serious trouble uh, because the president simply uh, does not seem willing to go after some things that I think he's going to have to if if he's going to get uh, anything done uh, for the people of this country. He simply um, has, in in my view, uh, given up the willingness to fight for economic justice in this country. The, the president has now shown that he can be bullied, and I don't, I don't want my president to be bullied. I don't think these guys deserve it, uh, and I think he, he, we would be all much better if we were able to say, you know, that we're not gonna, we're not gonna back down, and that there's no, no excuse for us, us giving up like this. I. I mean that's the hard part for me is that that it's uh, giving up without a fight. You, you know, I, I lied. I'm going to ask one, one more question then, because based on what you're saying there. But look, he he moves against you guys all the time. I mean, you know, when you say, "Hey, no, 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 I don't want to do tax cuts for the wealthy," he comes down on you like a ton of bricks. He says, "Sank," you know, the people on the left are sanctimonious. Remember when uh, Senator Dorgan introduced the, the bill to import drugs into the country uh, from Canada, etc.? He, he moved 10 or 20 votes in the Senate. He, he knows how to fight liberals. <laughs> so I, I'm not sure it's that he doesn't know how to fight. I, I think the real question is why is he only choosing to fight liberals and not Republicans? I, I'm, I don't have a good answer for that. I think that um, he... We, we want him to win. We want him to succeed. More than anything, we want him to succeed. And, and that's what's the hardest part for all of us is, is that we think that, we think he's just made bad choices here. I mean, that's all I, all I can say is it seems like the, the choice of where to fight, uh, has not been, um, not been clearly thought through and, and when you start giving in on the kinds of things he's giving in on, you you really worry that that there is no way back from that. Um, and, and I'm I mean <laughs> that's why I said it was this was uh, Gettysburg because it really is that was the turning point in the war. And and it really is a question of um, how you continue to rally your troops if you keep giving in uh, on things that that people really care about. Today, the non-triumph of bipartisanship as misguided would-be champions of the middle class class joined the eternally phony deficit hawks. In our fifth story, they agreed to extend all the Bush tax cuts, including those for the richest of the rich, for two years, at which point most will have been in place for 12 years and become virtually immovable objects. 
The Senate today overwhelmingly voting for cloture on the tax cut deal between the president and Republican leaders. 83 yes votes. That procedural vote, a clear forerunner of support for the actual bill. The Middle Class Tax Relief Act, co-sponsored by Majority Leader Harry Reid and Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. After the vote, President Obama touted the bill's strong bipartisan support and said he shared some of the concerns of the bill's critics. But that's the nature of compromise. Sacrificing something that each of us cares about to move forward on what matters to all of us. Right now that's growing the economy and creating jobs. So I urge the House of Representatives to act quickly on this important matter. The $858 billion tax package includes, of course, only a 13-month extension of unemployment benefits, as well as a truckload of so-called tax extenders and tax credit goodies Senator Ethanol Subsidy himself, Chuck Grassley, defending his pet subsidy by citing some of the other ones in the bill. Well, let me tell you about some of the subsidies that are in this bill, because you might think that ethanol is the only one of them. Think about the Indian Employment Tax Credit, the subsidy for new market tax credits, the subsidy for railroad track maintenance credit, the subsidy for the seven-year recovery period for motorsports entertainment complexes. Meantime, the lead negotiator for House Democrats, Chris Van Hollen, says that the bill will not ultimately be held up. Most of us understand we got to make some tough compromises. Most of us agree with almost all of what the president negotiated. There is one thing that just was the choking point, and that deals with the estate tax break. I am confident that when we get to January, there will be no tax increases on the middle-income Americans and certainly that also that portion of the president's deal with respect to the top-rate uh, earners. But let us not forget how this will be different two years from now, especially for Republicans. The White House economic advisor, Austin Goolsbee. In 2012, that's not going to be the circumstance. In 2012, I believe they will have to stand up and defend on their own merits that they think these high-income tax cuts work. And they will not be able to do that because they don't. So what about them not working now? And from the president, newfound confidence over what he will do, quoting, I can confidently say that, and I haven't made an announcement, but if I ran for re-election, I can confidently say that I would not extend the Bush tax cuts for the well-to-do beyond this two-year deal. I can confidently say that. Meantime, the latest phony crop of so-called deficit hawks, the Tea Partiers, either endorsing or disingenuously opposing this deal. From Dick Armey's astroturfing Freedom Works, it supports the $858 billion bill because it represents, quote, an opportunity to avert the coming tax disaster, end quote. You know, the disaster in which the taxes of millionaires and billionaires might be taxed. But the Tea Party Patriot site conservative radio host Hugh Hewitt saying that the deal, quote, spends billions and billions of dollars that the country does not have in order to prevent a tax hike that the country voted against. Translation, they like the Bush tax cuts, but not the Obama tax cuts, and they hate unemployment insurance extension. And by the way, the country did not vote against tax hikes for millionaires. So who did actually vote against this mess? The 15 nays included Republican Senators John Ensign, Tom Coburn, George Voinovich, and Jim DeMint. Democrats who stood against the bill included Senator Russ Feingold, Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, Senator Patrick Leahy, Senator Mark Udall, Senator Sherrod Brown, and the independent Senator Bernie Sanders, who in the greatest of ironies will, after his eight-and-a-half-hour virtual filibuster last Friday, now join me for a four-minute interview. Thank you for your time tonight, <laughs> Senator. Good to be with you, Keith. More or less, every one of my viewers asked me to extend their thanks and congratulations to you for what you did for this country on Friday. 
But the caveat, the caveat to that is, why were you the only one speaking that way? Well, I was joined by a couple of others mm -hmm. very briefly, but I think we have a problem. And the problem is the Democrats are going to have to show more courage. The president is going to have to show some courage in rallying the American people and changing the narrative. Keith, it's not just that this is a bad bill in terms of, of what it does to the middle class and the benefits it provides to the very wealthy. We are developing a narrative right now which says that despite the fact that the Democrats control the White House, the House of Representatives and the Senate, the Democrats are on the defensive and the Republicans are on the offensive. And two years from now, after the debate begins and we talk about extending these tax breaks for the rich even more, when we talk about another payroll tax holiday, which means that billions more will not be coming in to Social Security, you're going to talk about more compromises, which says, hey, we didn't cut Social Security by 20 percent. We only cut it mm -hmm. by 10 percent. Aren't we doing well? I think we have to change that dynamic. Right now, practically speaking, with these tax cuts for the middle class connected at the hip to tax cuts for the wealthy, what other options are there right now? Are there any? Is there any way to kill the tax cuts for the rich without killing them for the middle class? At this particular moment? Yeah. Well, unless the Democrats in the House pull off some kind of miracle, I don't see that that is likely. And my fear is just what you said earlier in the show. Two years from now, mm -hmm. I can't conceive that these tax breaks will not be extended. And furthermore, as this deficit goes up and as the national debt goes up, trust me, the Republicans will come back and say we want cuts in Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, education, environmental protection, and we're going to consistently be on the defensive unless we take the case to the American people, we get them to stand up and put pressure on Republicans rather than us always being on the receiving end of this. The uh, the next time unemployment insurance benefits come up for extension in 13 months, Democrats will have to give up what, do you suppose? Well, I'll tell you what the Republicans remember. These concessions, Keith, took place right now yeah. with the Democrats controlling three branches. What do you think happens next time? The Republicans apparently do not see the word concession within their lexicon. That's not what they do. So uh, I think unless the American people begin to stand up uh, and, and really demand that the Congress protect ordinary people rather than the very wealthy, we're going to continue to be on the defensive. Why was there this rush ultimately to call all of this that was done today not only a, a, a middle class protection bill, but a bipartisan effort? What was that all about? You know the political theater about it better than the rest of us. Well, I mean, I think what the president is moving forward towards uh, is more quote-unquote bipartisan activity. If you looked at that Deficit Reduction Commission, uh, Alan Simpson and, mm -hmm. and uh, that was, there's a lot of bad stuff in there. And I am very nervous that unless we, you know, really get moving aggressively, raising the retirement age of Social Security, cutting Social Security benefits, cutting back on education, etc., that is going to be the mantra for deficit reduction rather than progressive taxation, doing away with corporate tax loopholes, going after excessive military spending. I'm afraid we are going to be on the defensive. And that is what concerns me about this bill. Not only was it not a good bill, it sets the tone 
for more and more retreat in the coming two years. Our job and the president's job, go out to the American people, rally them, ask them how many people want to see substantial cuts in Social Security. How many people want to see more tax breaks for the rich and cutbacks in education? That's mm -hmm. the approach that we have got to take, I think. And, and unless that's done, uh, everybody will see those things and then say we don't want them and it will be too late to do anything about it. Uh, Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont, again, uh, great thanks for your time tonight and uh, it was an extraordinary thing to watch on Friday. Thank you for upholding democracy. Thank you very much, Keith. Michael from Glen Burnie. I just finished listening to your December 8th episode and wanted to comment on a few things. Uh, firstly, I just want to say that I consider the clips from Rachel Maddow and Keith Oldman uh, to be quite possibly the best you've had on the show since I've started listening. Uh, on Maddow's clip, in, in particular, I, I did want to point out uh, that while it may be to a considerably lesser degree, the left does have its own echo chamber, which I think can be evidenced pretty well in the way, uh, in the way many of the clips on your show actually uh, you know, within an episode, we'll actually repeat the same points, uh, report the same specific details, uh, even use the same phrases. Uh, and the example of this, although not related to your show, but the example of just the left echo chamber that's stuck in my head of how it, how it can go wrong um, or pass on bad information was when Joe Barton apologized to BP. Uh, every new segment I heard made it seem like he sided with BP, didn't hold them accountable or responsible for the damages they were being forced to pay. Uh, but it wasn't the case. I mean, immediately before the clip everyone shows, he states that he holds BP directly responsible and that they should be made to pay for everything. But uh, his, his, his real point, though, was that he thought there was a legal and a non-legal way to make them pay, and he didn't consider what the White House did legal. So while... When taken in context, he does make a legitimate point, uh, although it's not one that I agree with. Um, but uh, it just—I <laughs> just figure—I just feel it was dishonest of everyone, or if, certainly if it wasn't, you know, intentional dishonesty, it was—it was, you know, they're being guilty of the same thing that the right-wing media does. Uh, and and even though he did reveal his true feelings by calling the media a tragedy or the meeting a tragedy of the first proportion. You know, it, it doesn't change their dishonesty to, uh, on that part because he clearly stated something and they reported it like he didn't. So my point in all this is really just to say that while well, fact check, you know, the fact checking is important whether you're on the right or the left and whether you're Rachel Maddow or some guy listening to her. Before, and it's, it's important before passing on any information to other people. And it's critical that, uh, that you need to check outside your own, your own perspective. Uh, and, you know, if you're on the left, look at the right-wing media, see what they're saying. If it's nonsense, then you're fine. If it, but on occasion, they do make sense. So, at any rate, that's my two cents. And I uh, just want to thank you again for everything that you do.
Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to all those who called in. If you'd like to leave a comment, question, activist call to action, or suggest a charity people should be donating to this holiday season, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. I have a couple couple other uh, charities I just want to mention that people uh, emailed in to me, even though that's not what I told you to do. Um, But that's all right. Uh, So a couple of suggestions that came in were uh, adoptaplatoon.org which uh, involves you know sending care packages to the military overseas defenders.org which is an animal rights charity and then also the same person wrote just kind of in general terms uh, battered women charities and uh, and although they didn't clarify I'm assuming he means uh, anti woman battering charities uh, you want to check on that for sure before you donate to any organization uh, the last thing you want to do is you know make a donation to a charity in someone's name and you know like you're giving a gift to your mother-in-law or something and it turns out you uh donated to a pro woman's battering charity um really really not going to go over well so check on that so as you can see for yourself this show is wildly over time so i'm not going to say much else uh but i do want to let you know that this i believe is going to be the last show that you can really count on being in its regularly scheduled uh, time slot while i take my uh, regular time off for uh, the holidays in, in December. There will definitely be more episodes this year. You know, just they might not be uh, right on schedule. Uh, some of them, I think, will be, uh, you know, replays from years ago. The, the very next show that I have planned, I think, will probably be on schedule anyways. It's going to be a repeat that's actually extremely relevant to today. To today. So I'm excited about uh, putting that one out with updated content as well. So that'll be fun. So it's almost like a new show anyways, but I just want to put that warning out there so you guys know, and I don't get a bunch of emails asking what happened to the show. Now I just need to thank a couple of members. Peter B. signed up on August 27th as a communist with his monthly donation. Huge thanks to Peter for doing that. And Alex S. signed up on uh, November 13th, paid for a full year in advance as a leftist. So uh, Peter and Alex, all of the members, whether they be leftists, socialists, communists, uh, Satanists, or George Soros. Uh, huge thanks to all of you guys uh, who are what make the show happen. Of course, as you know, everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it. Spread the word online and join up with us between episodes by following us on Facebook and Twitter. For details on the show itself, including all of the links to sources and music used in this and every episode, all of that information is always listed in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you 10 times a month. Thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. Thought now black and white, you took a picture that wasn't right. 